Hey everyone, and welcome to Know Your Gear QA Podcast 231. I hope everyone had a fantastic week. Today we're going to probably be talking about some guitars. <laughs> it's a good chance. I think online betting is legal now, so if you're a betting person, I would bet towards that. Uh, the first question I saw today was from Randall, who said, Phil, I got a new, to me, it's new to him. So in other words, he's saying it's used. Another way of saying used is new to you. New to you. Guitar Dearmond by Guild and a Line 6 X3 pod. Uh, have you ever played or owned the Line 6 X3 pod? And uh, what do you think of it? I like the uh, pods. Uh, look, those were the uh, Axe FX before Axe FX. I think everybody who remembers, who anyone old enough to remember the pods when they came out, the Line 6 technology, all of a sudden it was just in every studio ever and it was amazing and i actually think they sound i think they still hold up if you ever get a chance to pick one up you can buy them for a 100 bucks now about two years ago i bought one i came across one really cheap maybe i paid 70 bucks for it or something like that plugged it in checked it out and then compared it to my more modern stuff and i couldn't really tell you it was a huge difference in sound pick them up for short money and they sound pretty good think about this they're on actual albums it's one of those things it's a piece of gear where it's actually was a piece of professional used gear on albums that we like you can't even watch documentaries now where they're making music anywhere in the 90s especially that that transitional time that you know where it goes from adat tapes and the real to real recorders to the digital full digital you look at that whole time span over that period decade literally in the racks of every studio everything's line six pod stuff very very cool stuff good score good piece of product uh for sure and like i said you can pick them up super cheap still todd0864 says i still use my line 6 hd 500 another great piece of technology the problem is the really the only difference between that stuff and the modern stuff to my ears is the new irs sadly enough you'll never see the interview because it got just you know destroyed what happened was i interviewed guillaume the owner of two notes and it was amazing interview and he talked about i asked him about the fact that he invented two notes because he liked his pod, but he didn't love the way it sounded. He thought it could be better. So he started creating two notes, IRs, for his pod and we filmed this amazing video and it was in germany and the audio and, and the videos jacked up it got jacked up because the system we used it was dropping frames and dropping resolution and it got it was just it was just unbearable to watch so i couldn't put the video out cool guy cool cool gear i'm a big two notes fan okay so this one comes from the panda he says, hey, Phil, what do you think about Guitar Center confidentially filing for an IPO? Round dose. He said two, but I'll say dose. So if you guys don't know, that was kind of put out this week. I saw an article about it as well. I think a lot of us did where Guitar Center trying to file for an IPO to go public again. That was part of the original Bain Capital plan. If, if you guys don't know, when Bain purchased Guitar Center, I think that was in 2004. You know, forgive me if I'm off by a year or so. And uh, when they bought them, the first thing they did was they bought up all the stock. I remember because the stock shot up to 45 bucks a share, something like that. They bought back all the stock and made Guitar Center private. And the idea was to grow Guitar Center into this amazing chain of awesomeness and then literally shroud them full of tons of debt, $400 million of debt, shove that in them, and then put it back out, put an IPO out and go public. And of course cash in the rewards of kind of owning that market. We know what happened. If you, 2004, you had the recession and then you have a, what is now referred to as the retail apocalypse where the brick and mortars started really feeling the burn from the online companies. Look, it's no secret what I think of Guitar Center. Guitar Center is a dinosaur in the industry. They are very unaware of the market. I've made fun of them in every way. And I I feel guilty because this is my personality, I feel guilty, but I still stand by what, what I say. You know, when you walk in a guitar 
Guitar Center. And again, I'm talking about the company, not the employees, the company. When I walk into Guitar Center, I've said this before, it's horrible on so many levels. First of all, when you walk in, the way it looks is dated. It's made to look like a 1980s rock concert in their stores with rows of Marshall stacks that they don't even carry anymore, uh, giant bass amplifiers that they don't even carry anymore, lighting rigs and everything. Everything looked like a rock concert that really kids today don't even give two craps about for that. That's not what appeals to them. I don't know who they're trying to appeal to. <laughs> Beginners, uh, right? Their marketing is all over the place and their online presence is very weak. They only have two things going for them. They filed bankruptcy and were able to shut off some debt, although they did pay the vendors. I can tell you personally, so we don't have to guess or do rumors. Everyone that I'm friends with that owns a musical instrument company that was owed money told me they got paid. That's at least seven or eight companies. Significant payouts too, by the way. You know what I mean? I mean, not just, you know, 10 grand, sometimes a hundred grand or 400 grand. So everybody I I know got paid by Guitar Center when the bankruptcy happened. So they did pay their vendors, at least the ones I know. So now, of course, they've relieved debt. That's a attribute, I guess. And the second attribute is COVID happened and there was a huge guitar boom. If you think about that, that's our business model right now. <laughs> We're doing great because everyone's doing great and we don't have any debt because we wrote it off. I wouldn't invest in JCPenney's and I sure as hell wouldn't invest in a guitar center. So I also want to be very clear because I've said so many things over the years. Again, sometimes I think it's nice to kind of reaffirm and kind of focus the, the thoughts of what I've said. I think guitar centers die. But when I say they're dying, I think this carcass could move on for another 30 years. I mean, seriously, no joke. The reason is, is because they are, like I said, outdated, antiquated, no good ideas. Even their employees. That's why I said, if you notice, I say the company and not the employees. When I talk to the employees, even the employees say, I wish we had a Strandberg guitar in here and I wish we had a Kemper. I wish we had more modern things. The actual new guitar market seems to be more interested in instead of just loads of inexpensive product and then loads of, you know, the older stuff. They did spend the last three decades killing the mom and pop sector hard enough to where they own so much of the brick and mortar market. I think they will stick around for a while, especially now that they got their bankruptcy, which is, by the way, my prediction when they were getting their bankruptcy was that they would go to the bankruptcy, reorganize and be stronger than ever. That's probably why they want to file for an IPO, because they're probably looking at their spreadsheets and going, hey, man, we got a lot of cash here because we had a sales boom significantly. I'll never forget. (laughs) I'm just sorry. I can't ever do it. Was it November of 2020 when they filed bankruptcy, so not quite a year ago, when Guitar World, of all freaking things, uh, actually had, they all had the balls to put out an article. It's like, Guitar Center, record sales year. And then they had the president of Guitar Center, somebody's like, we sold 500 times more than we've ever sold before. And then in the same week, when we filed bankruptcy, bunch of assholes. That's uh, my thought on their IPO. I would rather buy stock in that Gibson guitar from a couple weeks ago. So let me share this with you. I'm going to share this with you. So if you guys haven't noticed this, I thought this was really cool. And there's a couple things to discuss on this, but I want to share it with you. Uh, This is not sponsored. None of that stuff. Like I said, this show is all sponsored by you guys. Um, I was noticing when I was on my uh, reverb that there's this button called my collection. It says new. And there's a little video you can watch. It's short and sweet. Uh, right here, but you don't need to watch a video. What it does is it lets you take items you've purchased on Reverb or items that you didn't purchase on Reverb. So I'm going to show you what this is. So let's say I want to do this. You click the button. I go ahead and add. Let me type in like a um, a Friedman small box 50. And what it's going to do is it's going to find one for me. Here's what I have. So I own this amp. And here's what it does. It populates it for me, lets me put what I paid for it, okay? So I'm going to put, because I bought it directly from Friedman, 
Um, and then I could type what's so I can put, you know, this is where I would put, you know, I bought it from Freeman right there. What's unique about it. And then I can uh, take an actual picture of mine and put it here. You can add the serial number and then any notes and then you hit save item. And the idea is I actually did this last night. I tested it for, <laughs> for way, way too long. Um, and what it does is it allows you to put in your entire collection into this. And so here would be the, the advantages of that. One, you would have essentially your your collection of gear in the cloud because it would be held into the reverb. It's in your personal reverb account. Uh, it's not disclosed to anyone. Um, I went through a lot of their stuff. I read the stuff. They're, they're disclosed stuff. They're, they're not uh, – obviously, this is to keep – this is just for you. However, you can push a button and put any of it for sale if you want. But here would be the advantages. One – you could do what I did last night, which is be horrified by how much money you've spent on all this stuff. Uh, two, uh, you, uh, if anything ever gets stolen or if you have any kind of damage, you now have a, not only it, uh, you know, serial numbers and actual pictures and all that stuff archived, but it's also archived, like I said, in a cloud format. So it's obviously wouldn't be stolen with the gear. You would have it and you, you can do it. You cannot access this from your phone is what I figured out. I couldn't do it from my phone, only from a computer. The other thing that happens is if you were to pass away, you know, I hate, you know, that, so, you know, I don't want to be dark about this, but I have a few friends uh, that uh, we have deals and that's what it is. If one of us passes away, they will help our uh, spouses sell off all our stuff. You know what I mean? So, uh, uh, you know, that's our kind of our, our, our thing because you don't want, you know, your spouse to, well, one, you don't want anybody grieving when they're making decisions selling off your stuff because, uh They'll make irrational decisions because they won't, you know, won't, won't be thinking that way. They're not thinking about their future. They're thinking about how sad they are at that time. So is, if, although that's dark, that's a reason why you'd want to do that too. Um, and like I said, then, of course, you can also keep track of your stuff. I found it was just interesting to look up my stuff and see what they said. Um, like it was funny. I was typing in stuff and it said, oh, your stuff's worth $30 less than you paid for it. I'm like, oh. And then something was like, it's worth like $1,500. I had one thing that said it was worth like $2,600 more than I paid for it. I was like, what the hell did I type in? I went back and looked. And so um, so it's a, obviously it's Reverb offering this feature. I'm sure their advantage to them is that uh, they think that if you list all your stuff on Reverb, it's already – it's ingenious from as a business perspective, right? You basically have all your entire collection already on this internal Reverb thing. So if you ever decide to sell it, you're going to, of course, just go, oh, I might as well click it and update the photos or whatever and uh, call it a day. So that's interesting. Um, you know, I think the only concern I could think of – I was trying to think of pros and cons of this – the only con I could come up with is, you know, obviously somebody hacks your computer and gets into your reverb account and now they know your collection and what its appreciated value would be. Um, this is also supposed to be, I don't want to say in real time, but it obviously seems to be collecting data at some degree where, um, for instance, like I said, if it says my guitar is worth uh, like that Friedman amp, I think it said, what, $200 more? It's worth $200 more than I paid for it. So essentially, if it goes up another three, $400 in a couple months, it'll say it's worth $500 more. So it'll kind of change out stuff. Um, so it was cool. Like I said, like everything on the channel, I tried it out pretty extensively for myself before I just started talking about with you guys. I wanted to know what the downfalls are. I Only one I can think of, although, like I said, a lot, a lot of you guys are in in other careers and may know stuff that I don't know. So put that in the comments down below. But that's like I said, the only thing is, and to be honest with you, I was like, I don't know uh, if you're, uh, 
I, you know, <laughs> when you're worried about your computer being hacked, I guess I, I obviously we're all worried about that. But I think the worst thing wouldn't be, oh, no, they got my credit card information and they know how much my strat's worth. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah. And then uh, be clear, uh, pedal, L- pedal LY says, are these gear profiles public? No, this is just just for you. No one sees this stuff. In fact, I couldn't even, uh, like I said, I don't even think Reverb can see it. Um, uh, I'm sure maybe just like any company, if they go into an account, maybe they can pull this up and look at your stuff, you know, maybe an employee can or something. Um, and I'm, I'm speculating by the way, but, uh, no, it's not public and it can't, it's not a thing where if you hit the wrong button, it is public. And if you hit the wrong button, it's not, it's not public. You can't even publicize this list. Um, like I said, you'd have to, like you guys were looking at my physical account. So I was showing that to you. So no, it's just internal to you. And like I said, you can't even access it from your phone. Um, I didn't check a tablet. I should have checked. I'm sorry. I apologize. I should have checked an Apple tablet or a tablet to see if it accesses it from there. I would assume it might because it's more of a, um, I would assume if you're on the website, you can see it. And if you're on the app, you can't. That's probably why the phone doesn't see it. Um, but very cool, very cool for us. Uh, you know, I will tell you this, I was, um, uh, shocked. <laughs> I put in stuff because you know why after I put in like my guitars and my amps, then I start putting in pedals and then I start putting in, like guitar stands and, uh, other silly things, uh, you know, that I have uh, microphones. Oh, just the microphones actually. Oh my God. It hurts now. Just thinking about that. So, <laughs> cause you you know, you start thinking about this stuff. So, um, I thought it, uh, 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 <laughs> uh, I just thought it was funny because again, it's just something to, to note. It was interesting. Like I said, that they are, are letting you do this. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I think there's other companies. I think Music Nomad has a thing where you can put in this stuff and, 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 and put your, uh, serial numbers and all that stuff in case your stuff gets stolen. But this makes sense. And then, uh, and by the way, I don't know, I didn't show you because I already had done it, but, uh, everything you had bought, on reverb, you can just auto populate into your collection. <laughs> so you can do that too. So it seemed like a good way to track that stuff and do that stuff. Like I said, guys, I just wanted you to have the information. I stumbled across it, thought it was weird because, you know, when you see a thing because it's collection, uh, I think the way I read it was, <laughs> let me see if I can do it. This is my collection, right? I, I, I don't know why, uh, but let me go back to it. Uh, I don't know why, but when I went, drop down menu. When I saw my collection, oh, cause it was in a purchase. Uh, it does it in your purchases. When you're doing a purchase, it'll say, put in your collection. Um, and, and then I was like, oh, okay. Put in my collection. And I was like, what the hell is this? So there you go. So anyone interested in that? Now, you know, uh, <laughs> reverb will let you track your collections. Um, so my knees hurt says I never sell stuff ever. Well, then there you go. Put it in the collection. You won't have to update anything. It'll be a one-time time. Just input the data. Very cool. So, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Sean, Chris Sean says, I don't trust Reverb at all. All right. Fair enough. Like I said, that would, like I said, my only downfall I saw I could think of was, yeah, again, you, you're, you're trusting the data, but this isn't like, I don't know. Like I said, I, I thought about it because trust me, I was thinking about this, putting the stuff in here going, okay, what's, what's the downsides? And all I thought about was, like I said, it could get hacked. The, the site could get hacked, but, uh, 
they have my bank account information, so I'm I'm not gonna lie. I would I would rather uh, obviously somebody know what how many strats I own than <laughs> my bank account information. So I think uh, me personally, like I said, do it do whatever you guys you guys have to make your own decisions. I just decided really at risk. I'm already at risk just being on Reverb, uh, you know, like any website. Uh, so there you go. I just wanted to give you the information and talk about it. I thought it was fun. Um, let's see. We'll be right back. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying yeah. I'm trying I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Hey, me, me, yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go you feel me? We going to have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right with this I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I got Don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Okay, uh, hold on. I want to grab some questions. Yeah, Gil Lamb said, "Interesting yet scary to know the money spent on gear." Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> Right. It's a, you know, uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Let's go to another subject. And then, oh, just cause I want, I saw the clarifying question. Stout coffee says, does the collection keep tabs on purchases made outside of reverb? Uh, yes. As long as you can find it. So what happens, uh, on the, and this will end on this note. Cause again, I did a lot of do, I did a lot of this. I input almost everything, my entire collection in it. Um, what what I can tell you was if it can't find it in the system, like because you didn't purchase there and it can't find it in the system, it tells you to put in what you paid for it or the value you want to assess to it. And then it, it doesn't update from there, but it always will add your mount you plugged in. So like, uh, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example of one that was weird. Um, I had a guitar. What, what guitar was it? I had a guitar that like it couldn't even find it on reverb because, it, it, you know. Um, and so it was like, oh, this guitar doesn't even exist. So it just let me put in the guitar, add my pictures. And then I just typed what I paid for it. And then it's going just to always calculate that into the total as what I paid for it as its value. And, and then you have, you have control of that. You can either put what you paid for it or what you think it's worth if you sold it kind of thing. So there you go. All right. More interesting stuff. I just thought it was cool. Different, different. And like I said, a really interesting idea. Cause like I said, every time you did anything, it says, Hey, if you want to sell this, uh, like I'd put something in it. It's like, don't forget you could sell this. <laughs> it doesn't harass you, but it's got a little sling on the side. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, Litve. Litve says recently you mentioned, okay. What did I mention? Oh, wait, I Jim. Okay. I saw hopped one, but let me get to Litve real quick. Litve said recently you mentioned hot rod red last podcast. Okay. Oh yeah. Hot red, red. Yeah. 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 The color, uh, the Miami and tropical blue and other uh, cool uh, fender colors we should know about. Oh, fender uh, for cool colors. Oh, so he's talking about last week's podcast. We talked about fender colors. Sure. I mean, there's tons of colors, uh, that, that a fender have done. Obviously I like those colors. Um, uh, I have the, um, was it antique olive? I'm looking at right here. Antique olive green. That's a crazy cool color. What was the gray they did? That was really cool that year. Um, Fender does a lot of crazy colors. The 
they name them always crazy stuff because if you guys know anything about colors, that's essentially how you protect a color for, for, for the most part. I'm, I'm gonna make this very layman's, okay? Um, it's really hard to copyright trademark a color. So a lot of times companies add the name and the color. So for instance, uh, like, you know, seafoam green is like mint green. So uh, a company, so so you understand just, and the reason I'm saying it this way is because this is the way you have to look at it legally. I can make a guitar right now and paint it. I can go down to Sherwin-Williams, paint, <laughs> get the color that looks exactly like surf green, shoot surf green on the guitar. Fender can't stop me from doing that. My guitar will look exactly like theirs. What I can't do is use the name Surf Green. They own that color name. They own that name. A lot of times, the reason I say it that way is a lot of times companies say they own a color or people, musicians say, or you know, uh, customers say that, oh, it's a color owned by this company. The color is not so much owned as the name. And then of course the name associated to the color. So it's not only Surf Green, but it's Surf Green and the color mint, but it's the, the name is trademarked. So, um, so a lot of times Fender has like a lot of cool names for colors, like eh, tropical blue. That's why, uh, PRS is like that too. Like, you know, they name a lot of crazy colors, but they name a lot of the colors after their employees. I've talked about this before. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, Mateo blue is Mateo Arize. No, Mateo Verde. Sorry. Uh, I hope I'm doing this right. Arize, Matt Ariza. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, Matt Ariza. So he's, Matt Ariza is a uh, painter at the company at PRS's and at, at PRS. And he has a color called Mateo Blue, named after him because he's Mateo Ariza. And then he's got another color that's green called Ariza Verde. Verde being Spanish, the word for green, I believe. So um, the, those colors are named after him. There's a color called uh, Angry Larry that PRS used to do. And it was named after one of their sales reps. His name's Larry. And when he got angry, I guess they said his face turned purple. So it's, that's why it's purple. So if you ever see a purple PRS and it's called Angry Larry, um, they would trademark the name. What I don't know about PRS, and you'd have to ask somebody at PRS I've never asked, is do they get any royalties for that or anything, or just get the coolness to know that the, the color is named after them. But um, essentially, so when we talk about colors, it's not just the colors, but it's also the name and structure of those colors as well. Uh, otherwise, other Fender colors that I think was cool, I'm trying to think of cool Fender colors, like they did graffiti yellow, <laughs> you know, they're all just col colors. Um, Hey, how about copper? <laughs> um, I'll tell you, Litve, I, I feel like uh, I'll tell you guys. Uh, so uh, a little segue into something going on right now. I mentioned at the end of last week's show about the KYG limited edition products that we will be releasing. Uh, well, basically, we say starting now. And what those are is um, I have been working uh, with companies for the last year making limited edition KYG products, which are not to be confused with signature products where signature products like, you know, like I don't have a Phil McKnight signature guitar. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is something I think is cool. Something that was made as a limited run that will be uh, priced at the same price as the regular product that because you're a viewer of this channel, you have access to get. So um, sometimes that stuff is just a we put different color instrument. Sometimes it's just an amp with a new feature. Sometimes it's uh, an actual logoed, you know, KYG product. Um, but either way, something exciting. And so, um, the, I mentioned a few weeks ago for the diehard fans that, uh, the copper strat, the Fender copper strat was missing. <laughs> I'm making a face. Uh, it's not here yet. Not here. Um, yes, yeah, because 
it's being, uh, it's not being copied. It's not being cloned. It, uh, what happens is I uh, got a company that is uh, obviously very excited to work with the channel and they're replicating it, the features on that guitar. So, um, so we'll have a copper Strat coming soon. It's not Fender, but it's something cool. And so thought I'd share that, but what I can share, cause it's too soon, soon to share that, I'll let you guys figure out what brand it's probably going to be. I can tell you that I released last week to the patrons, uh, this, which is the limited edition KYG zither stand. So this is the, if you guys know, I did a, a video where I bought two of these stands and try to knock over my PRS and that video did really well. And uh, I became friends with Tony, the owner of Zither, right? Because obviously he was like, hey, we sold a crap ton of stands. And he's like, hey, from your video. And um, he uh, sent me two stands as a, as a gift uh, after I did that video. And then I had my wife put decals on those stands. Uh, so I had decals. And then uh, when I did the 10 products, 10 products that I absolutely love still, I picked my Zither stand because that's what I use. Because as you know, I only use string swing and this uses a string swing holder. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, he said, Hey, why don't we do that limited edition thing you were talking about? So here's what it is. It's a solid mahogany, uh, made in Texas stand. So the entire stands made in Texas. This is a special logo. You can see there's no rock fist. Uh, he's just playing the guitar deeply laser cut into the thing. Uh, in fact, it's not burned. If it looks like it's branded or burned, it's not, it's just laser cut in there. We did a limited edition run of these stands. I let the patrons have them. And I, I wanna thank the patrons because the patrons help us figure this out. So for instance, we thought, because again, we're not trying to make it to where, you know, it's exclusive to where so people can't get it. We're trying to make it to anybody who wants it can get it, you know, and then we're done. So we can go on to the next thing. I thought the number was gonna be 25 stands. Well, the patrons bought 23 of them. So I would be here going, hey, there's only two left. <laughs> so we think the number's really probably closer to 50 or 100. What I will tell you is I have a video dropping what will be the official release of this stand in about a week. So it should be October. So if you're interested in buying one of these, you, there's a link down below that takes you to the website to buy one if you want one. And it's at the reduced rate. For the podcast listeners, you can find the stands at www.blackstockpickups.com. And you can find them at this reduced rate until the official video releases. There you go. So if you're interested in having a stand with the Know Your Gear logo, great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Like I said, I get a little piece. Um, Zither sends them straight to you guys, and it's uh, pretty straightforward. I want to thank all the patrons for jumping on board. You guys really seem to like them. Uh, Stout Coffee says, I love the wood and the figure to it. I, dude, I really like it. They're good people over there. They're, like I said, they, he has, a, he has like, I think, uh, six employees. I hope it's uh, right. I think it's six employees, and they just work their butts off making these all day. As you guys know, uh, you know, I try not to be that, uh, you know, I only use or this is because I want to be a channel where I can talk about as many products as possible. But so you know, I'm constantly telling companies no. When it comes to the wall hangers and the stands, I pretty much stick with just what I like, which is the string swing products and of course the zither stand. But again, I just want to keep talking about this because I'm going to obviously release everything to the patrons first uh, because they're helping me kind of test market this stuff too. And then, like I said, we have pedals, we have guitars, we have amps, we have everything coming, every price point somebody should find something they they might find cool. Uh, again, not and, and we're not trying to stick on the whole Know Your Gear theme too much. Like I said, a lot of these products don't even say Know Your Gear 
or my name anywhere on them. They're just something limited about them. Uh, Magic Man says, how much are there? These are, if you buy them now, $149. Now, I know some of you guys saw them on the Reverb site. They're, we had to take them off because we put them on there. I wasn't thinking anybody would notice them. They were $200 because that's what they normally sell this stand for. This stand normally sells for $200 if you get the Gibson or Taylor logo. Um, and so what happened was I asked uh, Tony at Zither if we could do them for the same price. So the mahogany stand, so if you guys like the stand but don't like my logo, it's still $150. You can buy this stand on his site right now for $150 if you want mahogany. If you want the oak, it's $100. So it's $50 less. But I bought the oak ones first because $100 seemed easier. But I'll tell you, after I saw the mahogany one, I don't know what it is. It's just a lot classier, but it is 50 bucks more. It's a legit amount of money difference. But what I'm telling you is this stand is 150. So it's the same if you get the logo or not the logo. Well, Aaron Short Music says, I met the owner at Nam, really nice guy. Yeah, me too. Super, super hardcore guy. Uh, funny, great stories. Uh, and that guy is, uh, he works. He's like the guy you, he's the guy, uh, since Aaron knows him and he knows what I'm talking about, I'm kind of just talking for Aaron for a second. Aaron, he's the kind of guy when, when you hear he's doing great, you're like, you love hearing that because this is a guy who's not afraid to tell you the bads and the goods of his story, of his of his life, of his business. And I love that. I just, I love it when everybody's, instead of it's like the whole roses, and then I invented the stand and it was a million dollars later. It's just like, I love it when somebody's like, this is what happened. It was bad. This is what happened was good. And this is how I, I, I'm coming out and it's it's doing great. Uh, Fast Teddy 333 says, how is it on carpeting? Uh, it's fine. It's on carpeting now. I have no issues. Look, I've had these stands now. Uh, so you'd have to look at that original video I did. Um, I want to say it's two years old. These are the only stands I, I've used at all. In fact, when I did that video, in the video, I showed you guys like a regular guitar stand stuff. I have no stands. I'm telling you guys, just honest to God. I only have these stands in my house. No other stands. There's one in my shop. There's one PRS stand. You know that PRS stands that PRS sent me? They sent it to me to check out and I gave them feedback and I think it's a beautiful stand, but I distrust these. My dogs have not knocked a guitar over and I've done everything that you shouldn't do with these stupid stands in a guitar. I really, really feel safe with them. As safe as I'm going to feel with the stand. There, I'm done trying to sell you guys a stand. <laughs> Let me get back to, let's get back to guitars. This is from Jim. Jim says, hey, Phil, he's got the Magnetone panoramic stereo, has a 46 decibel hum when engaged, volume at zero, no other gear or RFI present. Is that normal or maybe a tube issue? Well, first, always when a tube amp, go off the fact that it's probably a tube issue. A uh, bad tube is going to create all kinds of problems from a high pitched squeal to a humming sound. There's all kinds of things. Then once you know the tubes are right, then we can worry about all the other components that could possibly go wrong. And of course, you know, like I said, if you're playing in your house, you know, who knows if it's picking up your refrigerator or what other things to do. Um, what I will tell you is, is that uh, uh, I did a video where you, you know, chopstick test. It's a very old test. You take a, a you know, a wood chopstick, or you could take a drumstick, anything that's like a drumstick for drumming, not like a chicken <laughs> drumstick. Hit, hit the tube with the chicken. If it sizzles, it's good. No. Uh, anyways, uh, you tap it lightly and uh, listen for some kind of ring. And that sometimes will tell you if a tube's bad. Sometimes you can look at it, visually inspect the tube is an issue, but tubes are problematic for sure. But I would go off the tube issue for sure. Um, and, uh, I hope that I hope that gets you down the right path. But go always assume the tubes are the problem with an amp. I find that eight out of ten times, and I really feel like it's probably closer to nine, but eight out of ten times it'll be the tubes. And when it's not the other the other two times not tubes, uh, then you have to have taken somebody or or call them, call Magnetone and see if there's a tech on site that will walk you through the problem. Um, also, don't forget not only to unplug it and plug it in a different outlet, but on a, a outlet on a different. Um, 
I don't know what you call them. I'm not an electrician. I don't know if they're called relays or circuits or whatever, but in your house, you know, you have different, you know, when you, you know, when you, when you, when you blow a fuse and you go outside and flip it, uh, what it junctions, I guess at the junction box, what, it, what box, whatever it is, whatever, uh, what I've learned at the house to do is if I have an issue coming through an amp, the first thing I'll do is I'll plug into an outlet that's attached to a different, like breaker because the fact that it, what it, anything on that one breaker could be coming through your amp is wh- what I'm saying. So, so I get in on something else. Um, so, uh, plug. So sometimes I, what I like, so, you know, uh, uh, the little dumb trick for me, and again, far from electrician knows what the hell he's talking about. But, uh, for instance, if I'm plugged in an amp, especially at somebody's house, but like my house and the amps making a noise and I can tell it might be coming from the wall. The first thing I'll do is go into a bathroom and plug it into a bathroom. Cause usually the bathrooms are hooked up to a GFI, uh, like the garage would be and stuff. And so that is all on one thing. So, and it's usually on a different thing than maybe, cause they, sometimes you have to worry about people's refrigerators or other things they have plugged in. Uh, but the GFI would be usually isolated to the bathrooms. So that's a little trick I've learned. And I'm sure somebody out there is an actual real electrician. They might have a better suggestion, but that one's worked well, wonders for me. Um, Alan, Alan Sam's music, who's also a patron. Very, thank you, Alan says, no questions. Just want to contribute. I appreciate that so much. Michael says, what do you think of the JTV Variaxes? Thanks for your awesome content. Uh, thank you for the compliment. Uh, Michael, you know, I have, um, I've played very, very many of the, <laughs> I've played very many. I think I've played all the Variaxes at some point. Um, all of the ones that they've offered up. And although I can find where I find personally where they're interesting and they do cool things. Like I've seen like Rabir and, uh, and, um, Frog Leap Studios use them on stage. Uh, I've seen all kinds of professional music musicians use them on stage. I, I have friends that are that are gig, gigging artists around town, you know, do like, you know, wedding band stuff and they use them. I, I'm, I've said this before. The problem for me is a lot of time when you're playing at home and you're your own audience too. So I, I, I think it, when I'm p- playing out, you know, in that kind of idea, I think a product like that works wonders for for the usage because it's a, it's a, it's like, Hey, it's your baritone guitar. It's your 12 string. It's your acoustic. It's your electric. It does everything. And the audience knows no better, right? They're just, they hear it and it sounds good and they go, but at home, it sounds synthetic to me. And so I'm also the audience at home. You know what I mean? I'm playing and, um, and it's why I've said this before when it comes to, you know, gigging out, I could take my HX stomp, anywhere plug into it and play in front of people and i'm feel like i'm fine but at home i find no joy in that for me personally i need to be plugged into you know the plexi or the fender amp i need something so that when i'm playing it's not just like i'm a, a gear snob it's that i mean i want my ears i want you know i want the best <laughs> i want to hear something that inspires me when i strum a chord and i go Yes. Now one more chord. Oh yes. That's great. So like I said, as a utility tool, I think they're very cool. I found no use for it for me personally, because I don't gig in a situation where I need variable instruments to, you know, sound like different instruments and I don't need multiple tunings because that's not something I do. And so then it became a, okay, I'll use it at home. And at home it became uh, the issue of simple as the baritone on the guitar doesn't sound as good as my real baritone. The acoustic on that doesn't sound as good as real, my real acoustic. You know what I mean? So I just use my real stuff. But, uh, but like I said, as a tool, it does what it's supposed to do. And I think they do it well. 
Yeah, Mad Chris two two forty nine says good for a single gig and tastes great. Yeah, you know what? It's like I said, it's a practical tool. Like I said, I I find no, I find no path in my life, um, whether it's this gear channel gig or or playing music, where I find and I go. I can't stand this. I like this. It's really like I have a use for this. I don't have a use for this. You know what I mean? Um, my YouTube world life, in other words, making this content for for viewers, I use all kinds of products that I would never own in a million years. <laughs> I have no no need for them. Uh, and so when somebody says, oh, do you like it? And I'm like, well, I, it's not that I like it. It's just it helps me make content in a, an efficient way. Um, it's, you know, what's the term workflow? I'm trying to create the fastest workflow. You know what I mean? To me, just like anyone who has a job, getting a video done in six hours versus eight is a huge dividend for me. So uh, I look at that Variax uh, guitars uh, like that same way, right? If it, it nets you a positive result, you should use it. You know what I mean? Um, definitely, I could tell you what I wouldn't do. I would never, if I was in a situation, like if I got, if I was in a cover band or a band and I needed multiple guitars, uh, I wouldn't do at this point in my life. There's, there's no way, uh, <laughs> it doesn't even matter how much somebody pays me it has to do with whether or not I had a roadie or not. And I've never going to have a roadie. So if I have to haul all this stuff to a gig, I would, I would have a very accent in a second. That's why I said, see, notice how I'm selective. What I say about it being a tool, because it's not about, like I said, whether I like it or not, it's about literally going would I haul six guitars to a gig? Never. <laughs> Absolutely never. <laughs> At this point, I take that thing in a second. Um, so there you go. Um, oh, you know, LPD pedals. I have a funny story for Lawrence. So, <laughs> so Lawrence, I'm gonna, this is going to be funny only to me. <laughs> So Lauren says, I think everyone needs to turn up loud at least once a week. Good for the soul. So last week I mentioned that my buddy Joe came over. I hadn't seen Joe since before COVID. And uh, so he came over for the day. He had a Tuesday off. I, I, like I said, I played hooky from work and I literally, we sat all day just going through all my amplifiers and, uh, and doing stuff. And the idea would be, you know, I have a couple amplifiers right now and a couple things, but mostly amplifiers right now that he's really thinks are cool and interesting. So, I mean, this is, you know, you could imagine if you had a friend that has not only one, but four or five of the amps you were thinking about buying in the next year or so, it's really cool to go try them out and not have to, you know, buy them to try them. And, uh, what's funny about this thing was at some point I convinced him, I don't know how that we need to plug in the Plexi and I plugged in the Plexi and he's playing. It wasn't even me playing. And I go, okay, keep playing. And then I just turned it up <laughs> and his face was just like, what the, right. And it's funny. And the reason I say that is because I have the 50 watt, uh, Plexi. And the 50-watt Plexi through the 412 will just kick you in the teeth like a mule. It's just got a lot of punch and power and volume to it. And then what happened was I go, yeah, it's loud. And it's not just loud. It's a different kind of loud because I have a bunch of 50-watt heads here. And we went through all of them and we turned them up pretty loud. And and I told Lawrence, uh, not Lawrence, I'm sorry. I told Joe, I said, and this is for Lawrence though. I told Joe, I said, see, when's the last time you heard a real Plexi cranked? And he said, oh, it's been like 10 years. And I said, yeah, see, kind of like what Lawrence is saying. I go, I think every 10 years, everyone should be forced to listen to some kind of Plexi or Fender Twin cranked on six, 
<laughs> right? And uh, and uh, just because to feel that again, like like Lauren said, not only how loud it is, but how it feels, how it sounds, and why it's so magical. Because it is a magical beast. Um, for about five minutes. <laughs> and then after that, you're just like, you just want to not only turn it down, you just want to be out of the room. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lauren says, it's, I can't breathe loud. Yeah, it does. It does. I say, I tell everybody, it kicks you in the teeth. Like literally feel your teeth move. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Niall says 50, uh, 50 valve watts is proper loud at home. Well, like I said, and and the and the Marshall, it, there's something about the Marshalls. You know what I mean? Because it, 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 you could argue that it's the quality and stuff, but I mean, I have like Friedman's here. I have uh, Bogner. You know, I'm going. I'm looking at all these amps up here. I, I have all these amps that are you know considered really well built, high end boutique amps in the room that we're we're checking out. And no amp is that same kind of loud. It's a, definitely its own monster. So there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, okay. The next question. We're not, I'm not making any progress today. <laughs> uh, from, uh, it's from Lit Vey. He says, how thick is your gray plect Squire Strat body? Well, Lit Vey, luckily, luckily for you, <laughs> what I'm about to say to you won't, won't, uh, won't frustrate you or frustrate you or frustrate you. Uh, it's 40 millimeters thick. So I think uh, a real Strat, a real Strat, a Fender American Mexican made Strat, bodders, Strat, Strat body is 45 millimeters th- thick. Uh, I'm doing the millimeters because, uh, you know, I think you're in Europe somewhere, right? <laughs> Either way, uh, it's 40 millimeters thick. So it's five millimeters thinner than a Fender Strat. For every, all the Americans, just Google that and it'll tell you the difference. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Jay says, what is Jay says? Jay says, thanks, Phil. Just bought a holy board from Sweetwater through your channel. Oh, so you must be like, I used an affiliate link. says, hope the affiliation worked. Do you have use, do you have a use? Oh, do you, I, I, it's, there's a line. So let me just say, do you use the holy board gig bag? I think he's saying, do you, or have you used the holy board gig bag? I have not. Uh, the very first holy board I ever got, I bought, and I bought it without the gig bag. And then after I did that video, I think uh, the owner Chris, who owns Holy Board, saw that video, reached out to me. This is about a year later, but he reached out to me and said, "Hey, I have a new holy board. Would you like to check it out?" He sent me that holy board, but he sent it with the gig bag, and that thing was monstrously huge. <laughs> Like if I ever chop up a person and put some, that's kind of graphic, isn't it? But it's if you're, I just wanted to illustrate the size. If you ever put a person in a bag, it's that's the size bag. It was like a body bag. And then, um, and then when he came out with the third version holy board, again he reached out and said, "Hey, can we send you a holy board third version so you could check out and talk about it on the channel?" And then at that time, I think I specifically said yes, but don't send the bag because I don't, I don't, I don't take pedal boards anywhere. That's my issue. Some of you guys take, you know, build pedal boards and take them to gigs and stuff. I'm the opposite. Uh, pedal pedal boards are for the home for me. Gigs are like one amp. <laughs> I'm trying. I I I literally focus. Like I said, I don't play in a band band. I don't have a band where we meet every week and practice and we play songs. I'm always always. Uh, uh, third or fifth wheel on a band somewhere doing something, filling in for a person, jumping on a stage with somebody, doing something like that. So again, my rig is always very streamlined. Again, tools, focused, you know, everything is about how literally can I get, do a thing and get out of there. Um, 
Uh, so there you go. Um, when I did, uh, and this ties into a question, uh, it's funny, I, I got a question and it, will, and it will tie into this. So I can tie in these two questions, which will be great. Um, and I really want to answer this question because I saw this question pop up last week. When I index the show, I get to see some of the questions I missed, which are most of them. And um, this question came from Scott. I saw Scott. Scott, you'd asked this question last week and I think the week before too. So I definitely wanted to hit it. It was, uh, Phil, after reviewing the Ingle amps, the two Ingles, so he's talking about the Ironball SE and the Fireball. Do you think they are better than the Grandmaster 40? So he's talking about the Hughes and Kittner Grandmaster 40. The interesting thing about that, which ties into the live gigs and what I'm about to say, uh, uh, the Grandmaster 40 is a very cool amp. It's got a ton of features. And like a lot of amps like that, it has so many features that at some point I only use two or three of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just not using a lot of the product. But somewhere after the Grandmaster 40, they sent the, um, what's the other one called? The Spirit, right? The Spirit uh, head. And to me, I don't know why, even though the Spirit is solid state, it's not tube, it's not the exciting, expensive one. Uh, it's not cheap, but it's not as expensive as Grandmaster. I like the Spirit more. I, I've said this before. I use the Spirit many times when gigging. And even when I did, I we did this event for, well, not for Hughes and Kittner, with Hughes and Kittner in Germany, where we paid, played in front of like 26,000 people. They sponsored the event, uh, Hughes and Kittner did, and they like set up all these patches so that we played 18 songs and I don't know how many patches were in the amp for the songs because I didn't use any of the patches. I don't know if I was the only one to do this, but I definitely did it where I used only the first channel. Like I picked the channel and I created a fake plexi kind of sound that rocks out and then you used my volume knob on my guitar. And so, you, so, you know, like, I mean, you could hear it in the video, my, my tone, I was just run because again, it's just the way I'm conditioned. I want to keep this as simple as possible. I don't want to worry about what patch I'm on, what I'm doing. I just want to keep it simple. So I actually preferred that amp over the Grandmeister 40. And um, for, for the functionality, sound-wise, I think the Grandmeister 40 sounded a little better, but functionality being a little lighter, a little bit more durable, just seemed like a better product for me to take around and abuse. Um, so that being said, that's why I picked it over the Grandmeister 40. On the Grandmeister 40, what I picked, the Ingle uh, stuff, yes. Because Ingle does something that I wish Hughes and Kittner did, okay, or would do. Um, the Ingle guys, and I, I'm friends with both Hughes and Kittner and Ingle, so you can always hear that I'm trying to be fair and 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 uh, honest with you guys. But also, you know, like I said, they're both my friends, so I think about their feelings. But aside from the feelings, the truth is I like Ingle stuff way more than the Hughes and Kettner stuff. And the reason is, is because it's the mission statements that those both those companies have. I'm more in tune with the Ingle mission statement than I am with the Hughes and Kettner. And what I mean by that is the Fireball and the Ironball SE are made in Germany. They are made very well, okay? And uh, if they have shortcomings, it was physically because they were at the limits of what they could engineer out of that stuff. Hughes and Kittner, they, uh, for some reason, for a lot of reasons, I'm sure, have decided to go and have that stuff made over in China. And as you guys know, I don't have a personal problem with that. You know, we talk about all gear here, but it's also priced the same price. So, so think about this. I'm very aware, just like the zither stand right here. You know what I mean? You can buy stands, <laughs> you can buy stands for a nickel, uh, you know, on Alibaba Express. I'm, I'm very aware of all this stuff. And, and again, it, it's, everybody has to make the financial decision that's right for you and your family. Okay. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm just telling you where I align myself as much as I can. 
If I can buy a product made in the USA, made in Mexico, made in Germany, made in UK for the same price as made in China, I will take that avenue every time I can. Okay. Some of you guys have hard lines on this. You know, you don't like, uh, you know, the import Chinese stuff. Some of you guys only like the China stuff. Again, I'm not here to argue that. And if you want to talk about this stuff, you need, it's the wrong channel. It's just a gear channel. But if I can buy to me a, a product for the same price, the, the, uh, iron ball SE and the, uh, grandmeister about the same pricing. And I think Construction wise, it's very easy to see iron ball. Like if you put those amps side by side, it's not about both sound good. So it's not a question of how they sound. Both sound good and do the job. Um, and if I was going to give a winner to sound, I'd say it's Ingle, but only by a small margin. Maybe it's a slightly better sound than the Hughes and Kittner stuff. Um, Hughes and Kittner went with more features, even more crazy stuff. The iron ball had a ton, but the Hughes and Kittner has even more, but they shoved so much stuff in there to hit that price point. They had to give up their manufacturing. So what I mean by that is they have a factory in, in Germany and they're not making it there. They're making it over in China. And therefore they're kind of like, you know, they have to make decisions, cost saving decisions. So again, that's why I, I lean towards the Ingle stuff. Uh, like I said, I feel like it's really built really, really well. Um, and that's why I like it. And so I pick it over that, but I like both. And if your question is, you know, you have a Grandmeister, should you sell it and buy an iron ball? I don't know. You know what I mean? So, so I, you know what I mean? That's the thing. But like I said, it's not specifically because one's made in China, one's made in Germany. I prefer it. It's just, I'm giving you like, when I'm given all the choice, like any consumer, you give me a list of choices of quality items, price points, features. And at some point I make a decision. And the decision is I like the Ingle stuff just slightly more than the Hughes and Kittner stuff, even though I consider both those companies, good friends, good people, very smart and good product. But I just wish, in fact, if I could ask for one thing in life, it would be that the Hughes and Kittner guys see me just say that right now and maybe think, yeah, you know, maybe we can, maybe we should take some notice of what the Ingle guys are doing and kind of grab that, you know, back. That'd be nice. And then also it would be nice if Hughes and Kittner will finally tell me what that green, our orange glowy crap in the spirit stuff is. <laughs> uh, TR says the Grandmeister has, has 128 presets. Sure, exactly. Like I said, it is loaded to bear, which is great. But like I said, I found I didn't use all the options. Look, my hardest thing on the video when I talked about the fireball and the iron ball is the iron ball has a lot of great options, but even a lot of those options, I don't need my, me personally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it was like, that's why I said, I think I said in the video, like, does it have too much stuff? It's like, it's a little bit more than what I needed, but not a lot. The Hughes and Kinder stuff has a lot of stuff. I mean, it's basically a tube version of a, a Axe FX. Uh, and then I just, uh, hold on, I'm reading some comments here. Yeah, Lawrence is commenting on the subject. He's not really talking to me, but I'm going to chime in what he's saying. He's saying, moving production offshore is a trap. The quality of the goods the company receives is, poor, is uh, so poor that they, they scrap for QC is 56%. Uh, so he's basically saying the savings you save in labor sometimes don't wash out. I, I agree to, you know, to, to some extent, like I said. there's I've seen it done every which way you can do things. And there's times where I see companies execute perfectly. 
and there's times when they see them not executed perfectly. But I've said this before, kind of like when I talked about PV and PV saying it's impossible to make stuff in the U.S. And then I cite a bunch of companies who make stuff still in the U.S. I'm not saying we should, you know, kind of scold PV for that, but we definitely should champion the companies. And that's really what I get all this time. I don't want to scold companies for doing wrong things. I want to champion companies for doing right things. I find you're served as a you're you're better serving yourself and the people at those companies. So that's kind of what I, I like I said. I don't want to scold Hughes and Kinder. I want to praise Ingle uh, for that. And anytime somebody makes a decision that I think is is cooler, I want to praise them for it. Um, um, I'm laughing because I'm just, you guys, it's so funny how it all creates a debate. Okay. Um, okay. Let me get back on and let's do another subject because I'm, I'm seeing uh, we're getting a little redundant there. Let me refresh this. And while we're doing, while we're refreshing, I'm just updating the uh, other super chat so I can hit you guys, and then I'm going to do a non super chat. Let's see. Um, and again, if you're talking to me, put a question mark at the beginning so I know. Uh, I ha- I'm I I apologize if I'm saying this name wrong, Javine. I hope that's correct. There's a lot of E's in that name. Uh, it says, uh, hey, Phil, uh, how would I? How would you recommend starting out learning how to maintenance, uh, do maintenance and repairs? Like, I'm assuming you mean on guitars and instruments. Um, I, you know, I, I, the way I taught my buddy Ralph, some of you guys know Ralph. Uh, uh, I always laugh because everybody's like, where's Ralph coming back? Anyways, uh, so you guys uh, you know Ralph. How I taught Ralph how to repair guitars, he'll tell you uh, if he hasn't told you in, pro- in episodes. Um I would take rows of inexpensive guitars and just make him work on them and uh, give him a couple of tools and point and do a couple of things and say a couple of things and then just basically critique his work and then give him suggestions on what to adjust. Um, I'm a real fond believer of that. There's different ways to learn. Of course, I love videos. That's why I make the videos as well. Um, there are so many places to learn now that, that the beautiful part is this, and this is why I tell you this. So That's the way I think I like to teach somebody is just give them stuff and then critique it and kind of go that route. What I would tell you is, is that between the fact that you could take classes from companies like Texas Toast to, to, you can watch YouTube videos and learn stuff visually from, from videos to, you can buy a kit and build a kit to, you can buy an expensive guitar and work on it. There's so many ways there's books, you know, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Earlywine has a book that you can read. What I would suggest to you is just pick the, the, the way that you, you like to learn. How do you like to learn? And then go that route. Um, and then ultimately, what I would tell you is no matter which way you prefer to learn, which is up to you, I will tell you until you do it, you really never will kind of own it, if that makes any sense. Um, so pick a way you like to learn, books, videos, classes, you know what I mean? Whatever instruction purpose works for you. And then execute on that by doing it. And uh, that's why I like Glary guitars. I've done so many Glary videos. And to this day, you know, we make fun of the Glary guitars. But, you know, if you can find, you know, junky guitars on Craigslist and salvage them, do that. But 
like I said, I love the fact that you can buy a guitar now for 60, 70 bucks, 80 bucks, 90 bucks and work on it and learn a trait and not worry. You know what I mean? I have to go, okay, I'm, if I ruin this now, what do I do financially from it? You just keep working on it until it's right, you know, or at some point, like a video game, you hit the do over button. <laughs> uh, so and then uh, Dougal Dog, I know you're not talking to me, but it's uh, he says American-made gear is really pricey in Australia, making the choice even more difficult. Well, I say this, and I've said this before. It's just how I feel. As and the things I've learned, you know, obviously things I learned repairing guitars, you learn one set, get a set of skills. Uh, making content, you know, 800 videos, you, you know, another set of school, skills. Answering questions for 200 and something episodes, another set of skills. But working retail, like I said, 10 years uh, running the shop, the store, working face-to-face with customers, or it's actually 12, 13 years, but you get the idea, a decade. Um, I learned, you learn a lot about people. I, what I learned is people say things, but what they do matters, right? The saying is money talks and BS walks. That, there's a reason why that saying exists, because people like to tell you things, but until they act on it, it doesn't really mean anything. So that being said, what I, what I, what I will always tell you guys is what I think I've learned from that. And... Buying American-made products, buying, uh, you know, and again, everybody's from different countries. Buying usually what, because I'm in America, I'm in the United States. So I'm in the United States, so that's why we say United States. If you're from, uh, you know, Germany, you're going to probably say Germany. If you're from Japan, maybe we'll say Japan. But buying products made in your country is expensive. (laughs) That's why everybody goes to outsource them to Asia. Um, And what I will always tell you guys is, and this is just what I've learned from selling it, to people and interacting with them is that buying product in uh, your country, whatever country it is, but definitely like a United States, America and stuff like that, it's a luxury. And if you have so, so inclined, you have a lifestyle that lets you have that luxury, like all luxuries, like luxury cars and luxury clothes and luxury watches and luxury homes, luxuries, you know, everybody, somebody, hopefully in your life you have some luxuries i'm assuming if you're watching a guitar channel i think anybody who owns a guitar that's a luxury right there just owning a guitar and playing a guitar um but the point is is that those are luxuries that's why i don't say and i don't agree with the whole you know don't buy cheap gear you have to (laughs) you have to buy you know what i mean everybody has to buy what they feel comfortable buying but like i said if you give me a choice uh i'll take the choice of buying uh, something made in the USA or something that helps my personal economy over something else, especially if it's uh, same quality or better. Okay. Uh, that always gets a, that's always a fun subject. <laughs> Let's find something that's just about guitars. All right. We have uh, the next question comes from, comes from Matthew. Matthew, he's going to save us from this conversation. Uh, he says, ordered a Z Sounds American Musical Supply exclusive olive drab Gibson V. Oh, that's badass. Any bets on how long the back order will take? I have no idea, but already amazing. There was an olive drab SG used on Reverb, and I kept telling myself, I'm like, I already have a nice SG. I don't need a green one. And damn it. I didn't buy it. It sold. I can't find one again. It was a Chicago Music Exchange exclusive. No, I'm not talking about when they were new. I already passed up on that one, but it was a used one. That's a that's a great color for a V. It's just different. It's a cool guitar. Uh, so I will tell you this. I don't know how long your back orders take, uh, will take, but it's worth it. Uh, it sounds like a cool guitar. Different and fun. 
Um, uh, Chad Jensen, Chad, what, what is Chad? Chad says, Phil, what are your thoughts on the high dollar cost of buying Novo Custom? Um, Novo is a company that makes guitars in uh, Nashville, correct? And I believe RJ Rinkilio has a Novo signature, like baritone, uh, that I've seen. I feel proud of myself to know that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, one thing I don't get to enjoy any, as much anymore is watching other people's content. And, uh, I miss that. That was one of like, you know, people always ask me, what do you miss from your shop? I'm like, what do I miss from doing YouTube? I used to watch a lot more YouTube before I started making a lot of YouTube. Um, uh, so what are my thoughts? Look, high dollar custom guitars. That is just a, a thing, uh, that, uh, you know, if you have the money and you have the means, there's no, it, you know, it, there's no guilt in buying something and enjoying it at any price. You should, in fact, I think people should relish and enjoy when they can make a great purchase like that and, uh, and enjoy it. You know what I mean? It's enjoy it. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, I find, I find that, uh, um, Sometimes, like I said, we're apprehensive because the money becomes a little bit high and then you're like, okay, is it worth it? Eh, no. <laughs> you know, is a piece of wood with some strings for whatever money worth it? I don't know anymore. Like I said, I can buy guitars all day long for $300 that kick ass. So I don't try to justify, you know, you can't go, oh, but this one, this one sounds so good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Certain ones just they're they're inspiring but uh i think uh one uh, of my thoughts on it if it's if it's your thing and you want to do it obviously the channel where policy on the live show is you know if you should buy gear we should say you should do it but uh novo seems like a pretty decent brand it seems good um i i think i'm correct right now novo was fano right dennis fano is novo now so there you go uh brett says i've got a phase 90 that turns on and sound plays, but the phase effect no longer works. Oh, okay. <laughs> it says, I can turn the knob all day and nothing happens. What gives? I have no idea. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know why it turns on. Why You say, basically say, it turns, you hit the button, the light comes on, no sound. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you could probably have it fixed, though. That's the thing about sucks about pedals sometimes is you'll find that most of the pedal repair guys don't stay pedal repair guys very long because, you know, there's just the cost in, in fixing them isn't. But you'll find guys. I, I would take it to have it serviced somewhere if you can have it done. But I don't have any information for you, unfortunately. Uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar. He said, sadly, Guitar Center is all I have near me. I really miss having a uh, the mom and pop around. Cheers. Yeah, well, like I said, the Guitar Centers did kill the mom and pops, just like the Walmarts came and killed the mom and pops. That's really what came and kind of blistered that down and beat that down. Uh, you know, um, you know, that's it's a strategy. Look, it's not hard to figure out Guitar Center's strategy with the the, the uh, stores. They always put them right next to an off ramp so that they can be easily accessible wherever you are in your town. Um, you know, they kind of try to use them. You know, if there's a really successful music store in your in your in your town or your city, they'll put one right there and just pound on them. Uh, no different than, like I said, strategies of Starbucks or Walmart. It's a business strategy, and uh, and like I said, that's why I said it's going to take 30 years for them to die. Because they will eventually die. I mean, it's just, it's just a, it's just what I, I mean, again, barring that they don't come up with some new plan, but the plan of like, this plan is horrible. And you know how I know? I, I've had such a horrible experience trying to go there and spend money. And that's something that should never be uttered from anybody's face. 
right? I mean, who, you know, to me, to me, to me saying it's hard to go there and spend money, not because, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not boycotting them. This isn't like, you know, when the, like, you know, it's not like a political thing. It's none of that stuff. I just literally go in there and I go, yeah, this is not an, this is not a great experience. Um, and so I don't really want to spend money here. And, uh, to me, that's no different than, you know, trying to force, go to a restaurant where the food all sucks. You you can sit there and go, well, it's one of the only restaurants in town. Great. That means it stays until eventually somebody makes a good restaurant. Somebody will eventually kill off the guitar centers. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be the online market. The online market will just keep pounding on it. Like, uh, like we've seen it doing, um, Uh, see, here's what's funny. Google Dog says, I'd give my right arm, which is tough because then it's going to be hard to play guitar. Uh, it says, uh, for a guitar center near me, mind you, I, I then have a hard time playing guitar. Swing. Yes. <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't understand that. I walk into guitar center and to me, it's absent of any choices. Uh, you know, um, I can find everything online. Um, uh, and again, I'm not saying I prefer online to to walking in a store. I prefer that experience. But the Guitar Center experience is not a great experience. It's not. Uh, I, I have people all the time tell me, again, I have people tell me, again, yeah, I love Guitar Center. I go in there and I have a great time. And I'm happy for them. In fact, I'm like, good. I hope that is the experience that you all have. I would like it. I would rather, I would rather be the one person not enjoying myself and you all just think it's great. And I'm just, you know, it's just wrong. But I really just don't enjoy the experience overall. Like I said, there's one guitar center where I live where the employees uh, are pretty pleasant. And again, that's the employees. And like I always tell you, people can make the experience good or bad. And they make the experience good because the employees are good. But selection-wise, it's a, everything's either missing something. I can't buy anything. Half the stuff on the floor is missing something or it's defective or broken. <laughs> so I don't know. All right. Uh, let's go back to Travis. Travis says humbucker pickups with good growl. Hope that makes sense. Rock on. Sure. Of course. Good growl kicks. Um, you know, I mean, it's tough. No reference of what style music do you want? To me, what a humbucker does, it's just like a pick in a single coil. It, it needs to be relative to the type of guitar you're talking about, the, uh, the type of music you want to play. Um, when I think of a humbucker pickup that growls a little bit, something that punches a little bit, I actually think of like the JB. That's a good pickup. Uh, um, it's uh, been used a lot, and it'll it'll punch a little bit. It's not a metal pickup, and it's not a blues slash, uh, not slash the artist, but not like a blues, you know, jazz guitar. Uh, it's a rock pickup. It was used by metal rock guys, and that's usually what I think of with growling. You want the amp to growl a little bit. I think it's a pretty safe pickup. With the information you gave me, that's the only information I can give you. David Brown says, hey, Phil, thanks for the chats, my Friday uh, uh, PM routine. Okay. Uh, your video saved me tons of money. Sometimes I get both those, by the way. I get, hey, you saved me a lot of money or you cost me a lot of money. <laughs> Depends if you're fixing the gear or you're buying it from the videos. Uh, it says, fixing my Epiphone cornet uh, that I had terrible fret sprout doing the fix myself makes me love my guitar even more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I find... I find uh, you know, the edge of the fretboard is really important. 
Um, and again, I, I kind of focus on it a lot in my videos. I even had a couple of people make comments like, hey, why do you talk about Fred Sprout so much? And I'm like, well, it's because I talk about what I end up having to repair a lot, but also what I see players not only complain about, but also give up guitars about. And I see, you know, over the years, you just saw a lot of players just fall out of love with the guitar because of either the frets were sticking out, the frets didn't feel right, or the edge wasn't rolled enough. And it just was a harsh kind of feeling instrument. And let's be honest, you know, when it, when it comes to your hand, it's a very sensitive thing. <laughs> it sounds silly, but it is, you know. Um, when you're playing the guitar, those things become very, very, little things can be, become very huge because of the fact that it's a sensitive kind of Intimate, intimate, sensitive experience playing the guitar. Mad Chris. Okay, Mad Chris, 2249. I'm trying to see if I read this one already. I didn't. Okay. Said, best way to figure out a model of guitar that isn't made anymore and the company doesn't exist. Brand name is on the headstock. Well, I mean, Google. Uh, come on, you knew I was going to say that. Uh, no, I mean, obviously forums, that works really good. I'm not a big forum fan, but that's sometimes, you know, you find the diehards to get information. Uh, obviously, Reverb and eBay are great pieces of information as well. Um, but I mean, whether the company is not made anymore, even if it's really, really small, you can usually find something on the headstock. Um, but I mean, on the brand, you know what I mean? So... Uh, but I would say, uh, usually in my experiences, even if the company's not made anymore, even if the model was very, very limited run, um, it, very unique, there is usually, that's the thing about the world now, there's usually a small group of people that love that thing and talk about that thing. So you just find that group, Facebook group, uh, a Reddit group, you know, some kind of gear page forum, just, you can find that stuff there. I I've had that, uh, great success with that over the years. Just find, look, I'm a, what I said, I've said this before, I'm a general guitar nerd. In other words, I talk about guitars, all kinds of brands, but there are nerds just for like Gibson. There are nerds just for Seymour Duncan pickups. There are nerds for just for one thing, you know, right? They're into one thing, one brand of guitar. Um, uh, uh, my favorite, my favorite, uh, my favorite, uh, realization of that story was, um, we have a joke, uh, as we do, and I'll, I'll keep you, it's called moon pie. And, um, and, uh, what happened was this guy came in, in my first shop. So I had two stores. So I had the first one, then we moved to a larger location later, but the first shop, we just been in business a very short time. This guy came in. This is why we always, we call him the moon pie guy, uh, to this day, moon pie. And uh, here's why. And then uh, later, guys, when you're bored, Google what I'm about to tell you. So he came into the store and uh, I think he was eating ice cream, which was just, I mean, if he wasn't for the story, I just want to make him more pretentious than he was. Picture this guy coming in with like a little spoon, eating his ice cream because uh, there was an ice cream uh, uh, yogurt shop in the store or uh, in the shopping center. So he's eating yogurt, walking in the store and he's like looking at our guitars you know, being pretentious. <laughs> there was some hammering that on. And he's like, what's the best guitar in your store? And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I go, uh, um, probably, I think I picked a Schecter. Cause it was, again, store just opened. We had like two brands and, uh, he goes, Hmm. Interesting. He's like, what's the guitar, best guitar ever made? And I'm like, um, so I go Gibson. I don't know. Gibson. I didn't know what to say. And he goes, no, it's Moonstone. I own every Moonstone he pretty much ever made. And so here's what's funny about this. 
And this is why it ties in this. So, you know, I'm not just going on a tirade right now. This actually is to help. Uh, what's his? I'm sorry. What's your, the name? I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to find it. Mad Chris. Mad Chris, this is to help your st- story. Um, to prove that you can find anything. So he comes in and he's like, yes, it's the greatest guitars ever made, Moonstone. And he's telling, and I'm like, uh-huh. And he's like, and I would never own any other guitar besides it. Which, of course, you know, that's the, that's that's what you love to hear when you make a living selling somebody a guitar, that they're not going to buy anything in your freaking store. And now you're just going to sit there and listen to them for the next 10 minutes, talk about whatever the hell they're excited about. But you do it with a smile because that's the, that's, you know, your, your job's there. So he's like, he's, so he goes on, he goes, I'll bring one in one day. And I'm like, and he did, by the way, he did bring a Moonstone in for repair because it was a really had issues. Now, here's why it's funny about the story. He leaves the store and we're we're all like stunned. We're all like, we just listened to this guy basically berate us about our crappy store and our crappy gear and his Moonstone is the greatest instrument ever. But here's what's really funny. We couldn't remember what the hell he said. We're like, yeah. So, so somebody came in later and like, some guy came in and told us like all our guitars were crap and the best guitar ever was a moon pie. And we couldn't remember. We just remember moon. So we're like moon pie, moon pie guitars. Well, then over time, we're like, we tell the story so many times that we're like, man, we should figure out what that guitar really was. (laughs) So what happened was we kept Googling it, moon pie guitars. (laughs) Right. And he's like, each one uses special because I guess the Moonstones use like really exotic woods. And so Moonstone guitars. So finally, through through searching. So this is why I'm telling Chris this through searching Moon Pie guitars, believe it or not, we found a Moonstone guitar. We just found it. We found a forum where a bunch of dudes who all sounded like that dude, like somebody replicated that dude. There was like I don't know, 10 of them. I don't know. <laughs> and they all had a little forum and they all, they talked about. So we, you know, got to learn about Moonstone guitars. So that's my point. There's somebody like you guys have never heard of a Moonstone guitar until <laughs> today. There's somebody out there and they're like really into Moonstone, um, which we call Moon Pie guitars. Uh, uh. Yeah. See, Texas Toast guitars in the house. See, I knew that's awesome that you know this. So he says, so Texas Toast says, wasn't Moonstone Guitars claim to fame that they were all burl wood, uh, <laughs> hippie wood? Yes, it was all this exotic, and it was like a limited limited amount of wood. Oh, it's dude, it's, and I'm sure they're good guitars. The one that he brought in, believe it or not, he it was years later. Uh, he came in and uh, brought me one, and it needed wiring work or something. And I remember I did the electronics on it, and uh, I just remember the guitar being like. It's not that it wasn't a great guitar. It was probably fantastic. It was just, you know, at that point, you know what I mean? You, you're like, every guitar sucks, but this guitar, and you're like, all right. You know, <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's how, you know what? I'll tell you exactly how I felt about that guitar. I felt the same way about that guitar as I did. Uh, like I told you, I've played now three 59 Les Pauls um, from three different vintage guitar dealers that walked in and they were like, a YouTuber. No, they didn't say that, but that's that that's basically what happens. If you have a YouTube channel and you go to a vintage high-end stores, I think I've told you guys before, they just like to hand you high-end guitars. I love that they're super kind to you. I mean it's really cool that they acknowledge you. <laughs> they walk in, they're like, hey, we know you. You're you know you're the guy on the YouTube. And you're like, yeah, and you talk to them. But they always want to show you their most expensive guitar. And um and uh so now I've played 359 Les Pauls. And every time my experience is like that Moonstone guitar, I go, it's not that it's not great. I'm sure it, it's fantastic. I have so, I, it's amazing. But I don't know. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That's just so too much hype, <laughs> right? It's it's that friend that's been hyping the movie to you for six months and won't stop, and then <laughs> and then literally, uh, you go to watch the movie and you're like, was it good? I don't know because <laughs> it can't live up to that. So that's how the Moonstone was. Oh, so yeah, so uh, yeah, Texas Toast Moonstone is um is uh yeah it was a uh, burl maple all really exotic tops uh different guitars but the moonstone guy will never moon pie will never die we still call him moon pie guy i mean it's funny we still talk about this so you know to give you a reference this is 2006 <laughs> easy maybe 2005 but probably 2006 so that's one i so he's kept kept in my head that long um since texas toast made a comment i should point out if you guys didn't see texas toast did a video two days ago i saw it this morning uh it's funny i timed it just perfect i was like hey it's been a while like i said i don't get to watch a lot of youtube i go i should check out what what texas toast was up to and uh, this is crazy, honest to God truth. I go, well, let's see what they're up to. So I click the video and then I'm like watching it and I'm like watching them do this cool p- job, paint job stain to this guitar. And, uh, yeah, it was my guitar. So I didn't know that. So if you want to check out my guitar and for those of you who want to want, uh, it, it's a subtle, you, you, it's subtle, but at some point you'll figure out why it's my guitar. <laughs> I'm super excited. Although I really think I need to drive up to Colorado and go and and pick it up in person and then do some videos with those guys. So if they're up for that, I'm up for that. Um, and uh, and then maybe you know do some other stuff that you guys would be interested in. Yeah, Kevin Smith says Moonstone is like a Jerry Garcia guitar. Yeah, they vibed very much like that to me. Uh, the ones I saw. Um, I remember the guy, the Moon Pie guy. I think he said he owned ten or eleven of them. And, uh, uh, but I mean, you know, <laughs> because it was funny. I also forgot all the story I should point out. I forgot this. I, now that I said it now, now that I remember he had like 10 of them, I forgot to also mention, not only did he tell us how it was the greatest guitar ever and all our guitars were not great. He told us that we would never be able to get one. <laughs> so not only was he telling us that this guitar was great, our guitars are crap, but then he was telling us like, we can't get the guitar that is great because he owns all of them. And there's only a couple left. So Moon Pie Guy, you were fun. All right, David, uh, what does David say? David says, uh, oh, I already did David. We got to get to Fret Level Midnight. Fret Level Midnight won a guitar this week. So how did that go? I want to know. He says, uh, thanks for the advice on removing permanent marker. <laughs> See, this show's for me today. This is all for me. Uh, he says with Dane and Glary comes tomorrow, dry erase markers ready. So if you guys don't know, I, uh, um, uh, music therapy, Laz, who, uh, if you guys seen, he's been on the channel many times, uh, in the comments and stuff. He has a channel. If you guys want to check it out, music therapy, Laz, um, he, uh, he mentioned that he made me this wall hanger, which I'm going to show you guys just not today. Um, cause I didn't have time to bring it upstairs and stuff. And uh, so anyways, if you saw a couple weeks ago, he mentioned he was going to be in town and he said, could he drop off or he's going to leave this stand with uh, Zim's guitars and Zim guitars for me because he knows I know Dane and that store. And I said, well, if you come to town, let me know and I'll come hang out with you. So literally, I have no idea what day it was this week. Uh, I, I, I apologize. It, probably Wednesday. I hope it was Wednesday. <laughs> uh, if not, it was Tuesday. Tuesday or Wednesday, I got a message because I gave him my number I, and uh, he texted me and said, hey, I'm going to be at uh, Zim's like an hour. And so I had dinner with the kids and the family and then I went over and met him. And when I got there, uh, Z- uh, Dane was on uh, 
Johnny Bean show with uh, uh, John and uh, Neanderthal, and they were doing a thing, and I didn't want to interrupt that. It's a weird feeling, so you guys know, uh, when you have some kind of YouTube notoriety, you want to be involved with other channels. It's like a thing you want to do. So I always explain this, and that's why I interact as much as I can. But also, I don't want to take away from them. Does that make sense? I know that sounds silly. That's what happens. Sometimes it becomes like the... Oh, the Phil took over our show. You know, you don't want that either. You want to be part of the show, not take over the show. So I was, uh, when I walked in, I saw that and I thought I'd play a little bit with everybody. So I was playing a little bit with everybody trying to be part of the show, but not, you know, like make it the Phil McKnight Friday QA just on John and Bean show. And, um, anyways, long story short, uh, Fret Love Midnight, uh, won a, glare guitar that they gave away and then they had everybody sign it and i made the comment too so i'm cueing you guys on the story i told fret level midnight that you can remove sharpie by tracing it with dry erase markers and then wiping it off <laughs> so he's ready is what he's saying that's <laughs> a good man all right um t- tmz buns swap what the f- <laughs> tm to mick buns swap says, will a different amp make a big difference with a pod go? Uh, yes, because essentially, whether you use a pedal or a effects unit, what you plug the amp into is going to change the way the thing sounds. It'll make it darker, it'll make it brighter. Sure, can you compensate through EQ and effects? Of course, you can do all that stuff. But yeah, it does make a difference. Um, you said big difference. It can make a big difference depending on how extreme those two amps are. You take a solid state crate amplifier and a uh, you know a, a Fender tube amplifier, you're going to get two types of different kind of overall tonalities. Um, so yeah, it makes a difference. I, look, all this stuff makes a difference. But is it you know crap versus good? No, I wouldn't say that. It's just like I said, one's going to be brighter, one's going to be warmer, so it does make a difference. And even if you EQ and do stuff, there's just a little bit of that out. The I mean, this stuff, all this stuff matters to some, to some degree. You know what I mean? So, oh, uh, and then on a side note, Robert, Ma- uh, Robot Master Switch that uh, people love seeing you, Phil. He's talking about on that show. I love being on there. Like I said, I thought we were having a good time. They were cracking me up. It was a good time if you watched that episode. It's crazy. It's a crazy, uh, they're a crazier channel than me, <laughs> which was fun. That I enjoy, so you guys know, uh, I enjoy being in, in formats and environments that are different than mine because this format is the one I created and I enjoy having this format. But sometimes if it's a crazier show or if it's a more serious show, sometimes that's nice too. Um, Kendall, Kendall from Bensonite, Bensonite products says, howdy, Phil, do you prefer the DiMarzio chopper T or the Seymour Duncan little 59 too late? I already have bought the DiMarzio, but I'd like your opinion regardless. Um, they're different animals. Uh, so let me tell you what I like about both. And so, uh, the chopper to me, like I said, uh, is kind of like a P90. It's got that big P90 punch man it just punches and uh but it doesn't make any noise so like if i want a p90 style tone coming out of uh, a guitar and i have a single coil spot i will do something like the chopper t now so you know seymour duncan makes a pickup called the quarter pounder and that's also like a p90 and i think that pickup sounds more familiar to the chopper style pickup the little 59 to me doesn't sound like a 59 but it sounds like the sweetest single coil fat single coil tone i've ever heard you know what i mean uh, and I like that as well too. That's so think about that. That's what I like about them differently. It's how I want the note to attack when, or the attack, when I hit the string, the pick on the string, how I want that note to kind of come out. The chopper is definitely going to kind of be like, it's there. I'm here. 
I've arrived. It's the loud guy that shows up at the party already yelling. The little 59's the calmer, smoother tone. So Paul Richards says, hey, Phil. Our, oh, by the way, the other thing, too, is even though so you don't get scared, the chopper T does have that kind of punch. But when you you roll it back, the volume, man, it sweetens up really nice. Uh, Paul says, hey, Phil, are 70s Telecasters likely to see an increase in value over the next few years? Many things from the UK. Uh, I believe everything that, and I've said this uh, over and over again, and I said it last year too, and I'll keep saying it. Um, regardless of what comes in the next decades or two with the market, I think what we're going to see is a not only a con- what we're seeing now, but a continuation of American-made uh, type products, but and I mean any products, because even if they're PV or if they're an off-brand company, um, you're going to see them increase in value. You're going to see Fenders and Gibsons continue to increase in value. I do not subscribe to the theory that has been put out a lot of times. And again, I could be just as wrong as they can, but I'm still going to give you my uh, my opinion and and why the reasoning for it. I believe Gibson and Fender will continue to go up in value Uh because the theory behind that, why it won't, is that essentially the boomers die, right? I'm being very frank because it's just a very frank conversation. Uh, I hear it all the time. The boomers will die and the new generation won't care about this stuff. And there are arguments to that. I've read articles where people don't really collect Model T Fords anymore, right? Like stuff like that happens. However, however, there is a massive difference. And let me give you the massive difference. That gear is not associated to just people being an age. You know what I mean? That gear is different than even the car industry, which, by the way, the car industry seems like it's just going up too. Vintage cars still keeping it going up too. But it's attached to music. And as long as that music is relevant, the product that made the music is relevant. It's just going to be that way. It's it's why, I mean, it's why people couldn't predict, a rec- you know, what did Fender put out, like a $3,000 record player this week? <laughs> I saw people making fun of it. I'm like, you know, again, if somebody wants a $3,000 record player, it's got a sunburst uh, thing on it and they got the money to do it and they've worked hard and they didn't, you know, steal it or kill somebody for it or whatever, then God bless them. Good for them. Good for them. Work hard. Enjoy yourself. I don't know. But uh, my point is, is that uh, there's, there's this thing that will always be as long as the music is good. Why people buy records? People don't buy records because... Well, some people buy records because they remember going in record stores and buying a record. (laughs) But kids aren't buying records because they remember that. And kids are buying records. Kids are buying records because good music's on records. Um, And some bad music, too. But mostly good music. As long as there's good music, things that make that music will be uh, sustainable. So that music has to die. And here's what's crazy. It's not dying. It's like it's sticking around even harder. It's even... It's like... It's like as they make more disposable type music now, which I still listen to, <laughs> I listen to everything at some point, um, but it's disposable. It, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't have the iconic value that some of the older music does. And so the older music will continue to make that stuff worth value. And we know what the agenda by the companies are. The company's agenda is they're going to keep making better and better guitars for cheaper price. And that's the other argument. Why would somebody pay uh, for like in your, uh, in your question, why would somebody pay for a vintage seventies Telecaster when you can buy a Squire Telecaster that kicks ass? And the reality is, is because somebody's going to buy that vintage guitar, not because the other guitar doesn't play great. It's because that other guitar is a piece of history. At some point you have to acknowledge, and I've, I've said this many times, 
and, and I always use uh, artists as a perfect example for this. We look at ourselves like, I collect gear, <laughs> and artists use gear. And the reality is there's no, it's not true. Some artists use gear and collect gear. Some collectors collect gear and use gear. You know what I mean? Um, I've made the argument, what if I, what if I, uh, and I don't know if I even did this with you guys, maybe it's just an argument I just started with my friends. I said, what if I like to play one strat and all I own is this one strat, but I own 50 less Pauls on the wall because I just love looking at all the less Pauls, right? Is that really a horrible thing? I don't think it is, right? It's, it's, it's one is I like to play guitar and this is a guitar I like to play. And one is I like to collect guitars and those are guitars I like to collect. So again, I think that's the same logic here is that people will want exciting things. And I, I use this great analogy and I, uh, it's not an analogy, a story. I know I like to tell us a lot of stories on the podcast, but this one was on Shark Tank and I absolutely love this story. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. Um, there was an episode a few years back where a woman, a husband was a firefighter. She was chopping up the old firefighter. I guess they use these, you know, the ones with the reflector tape and stuff, real firefighter uniforms, the ones they actually have to go into the fires with. And so after so many years or so much time, they have to, you know, kind of toss those and get new ones. And what she was doing was cutting up the, her husband's old firefighter uniform and making backpacks and purses out of it. And... Then that did so well, she got other firemen to give her their, their outfits, and then she got other fire stations to it, and then she had people across the country, uh, fire stations sending her stuff, and then she had other moms across the country sewing up these outfits, and they were selling these backpacks, and their backpacks were like $300, uh, $400 for a, a backpack made of an old firefighter's uniform, and she wanted money, uh, like I think she wanted $200,000. Again, I'm doing this off memory, so if you watch the episode, you'll see the exact numbers and the exact story. She's like, wants the money from the Shark Tank. And what she wants to do with the money is she wants to go to basically Asia and have them make a mass-produced version of this and, you know, get it out in the market because she has people knocking her off. And I believe what happened in that episode, which is what was powerful to me, was Damon uh, Johns bought her company for $1 million under the agreement that she had to sell in the entire company and get away from the company. And he said, because I got to save this company from you because he goes you have something magical here. And he holds up the backpack and he says, this backpack fought fires. And he goes, in a world where you can have anything for any price, this is unique. And I believe that story to be exa exactly what I've been saying for years. A Squire Telly is amazing. I could own one and be happy forever. I could play gigs forever. Rock stars could play it. But I hate to say it, Something that can't be replicated is a 1970 blah, 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 Telecaster that was once played by so-and-so or, you know what I mean? It has a story, a life. It becomes a history. So it becomes more than that. So that stuff will continue to go up in value even after uh, the boomers die. And uh, the only thing that we don't know is, will it hold the same high in value? Well, it doesn't even hold the same value, uh, same value in the last 20 years. The vintage guitar industry has had, if it look, if you look at it in the last, uh, say, where are we at? 20 years? Yeah, yeah, 2000, uh, 2000 to now, okay? So in the last 20 years, if you look at the vintage guitar industry uh, on a sales graph, it looks like, uh, it looks like the McDonald's logo. <laughs> it looks like the Golden Arches, right? It had a super high, and then it crashed, and then it took off again. And, uh, and then it's like, so, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's going to be like that. So it's not about whether or not, will it be at the all time high it will ever be. So you guys are saying boomers will never die. Okay. But, but we're, you know, like I said, uh, it's, uh, it will have its ups and downs, but I don't think it'll ever uh, go because like I said, it's ingrained in a part of history. 
and that history doesn't seem to die. Maybe when nobody cares about all that music, which, um, you know, <laughs> which people say now, like I said, people say no one cares about it now yet. Uh, you know, I love it when people use the argument, uh, that the reason why, uh, they know people don't, uh, kids don't like old music is because they don't buy it. I'm like, that's cause they steal it. <laughs> And you don't steal things that don't have value. <laughs> so stealing it. That's my joke back. Okay. Uh, so Aaron Short Music, uh, he's uh, pedal board shopping. Really? Uh, usually uses a pedal train, but looking at Temple Board for the modules. Any suggestions? So many options. I use Temple Boards and I use Holy Boards. Um, I like both of those. I will tell you my temple board broke. Uh, and I want to say this, uh, very clearly. Uh, I was shocked. It cracked. Um, it just like fell apart. Uh, the side piece, um, I wasn't doing anything but changing out a component on it. Um, but I will tell you, I took a picture of it, sent it to temple board. It did not tell him who I am. I have an alias. So you guys know I've told you this before. Um, I have an alias. You'll never know what it is. It's you guys did that to me. Uh, you guys, uh, I've got sick of hearing so many times, but you're Phil McKnight, whatever the hell that means. Uh, anyways, but I understand what you guys mean because there's always a, a, a you know, kind of like tampering the, 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 the issue, which is, you know, what happens if somebody Googles me and goes, Oh, this guy has a couple hundred thousand subs. We better take care of him. So I, I actually messaged them as a, uh, as my alias and, um, uh, alias name, alias, uh, uh, email. And, uh, they sent me a new one and, um, you know, it was very, very, uh, uh, to the point was like, okay, we'll send you a new one. And they sent me a new part. So they want to say they took care of me. The reason I tell you that is, is that, um, uh, that's, that's one thing. What I would tell you from also, uh, again, messing with the temple boards, those little plate things that go on the pedals suck. <laughs> Here's why they suck. Uh, you know, you stick them on a pedal, you, you know, it's a really, it's really tough because then when you don't want that pedal anymore, you got to like take that thing off and then you scrub all the, the goo off and, and then try to redo it. So it's a little bit of a process. So I'm not a huge fan of the temple, uh, temple boards for that reason. So I use temple boards and I use zip ties and I use holy boards, uh, and I use zip ties and I really like both. Um, Aaron, what I would suggest to you is, uh, since if you guys don't know Aaron Short music, Aaron Short from his YouTube channel, Aaron, uh, I would reach out to Chris, the owner's name's Chris at Holy Board and, uh, and, uh, just talk to him. If I knew somebody at Temple, I would tell you, I, I don't know anything uh, about Temple boards. Um, the reality is, uh, when Sweetwater did the, uh, Rob Scallion and Scallon, Rob Scallon, I'm trying to say it right. Rob Scallon and, uh, Sweetwater did the, you know, biggest pedal board in history, uh, world record. They sent me a piece of that, a pedal board, and it was on a Temple board and I enjoyed it. So I bought another Temple board. So I have two because the one they sent me was huge. So I wanted a smaller one. And, uh, so that's why I have that. And then I bought a Holy board and then like I said, a Holy board sent one out, but, uh, I don't know anybody from Temple board, but I would suggest reaching out to Holy board and seeing if, uh, he'll take care of you. You got a YouTube channel. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you got a substantial channel in any way, you should always reach out. Maybe the, maybe he'll want to work with you. I don't know. Uh, he's super, super nice dude, and he makes good stuff. I mean, it's built like a tank. Uh, Clan of House Cats says, but stand up. Just sorry. Before I go on to the next question, I'm just picture in my head, Aaron going, Phil McKnight said, <laughs> just do it. Just say, eh, Phil McKnight, uh, I have a channel, and uh, show him your cool uh, Phil McKnight shirt that I my wife made you. And then he'll be like, you're in the, you're in the know, man. So let's see if he'll hook you up. Uh, it says, uh, clan of house cats says I bought a stand from the link, 
Uh, it, oh, you did. Excited to try it one. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's so funny. I love it when you guys do that. It's uh, not only because obviously it supports the channel, but it's funny that you just you just super chatted me to tell me you just bought a stand. That's very kind of you. Um, I'm excited. Like I said, I'm, I'm excited about the stands. I'm, I'm glad you guys are digging them too. I wasn't sure about this one. This was the first product that I wasn't sure about because this is really kind of attached to the the channel. A lot of the other products, like you said, have no, are like I said earlier, have nothing to do with know your gear KYG, no marking. So I think those things will be interesting because they're unique and interesting. And like I said, they're priced right. This one is more like you know you got to it's supporting the channel stuff. But thank you, thank you so much for that. Uh, <laughs> sometimes the names Maluda Ufi. You know what Maluda Ufi? Ma. I don't even know where the L would go in this. Madufi. This <laughs> is what am I? I'm sorry, I butcher your guys' names, but sometimes they're tough. Uh, it says, "What are your favorite EQ pedals? Uh, graphic and parametric." I am not a parametric EQ pedal fan. I had the PEQ four from Boss, and it's okay. I'm just not a big parametric EQ fan. I don't use it. It's not something I use a lot. Um, I've tried it on bass and guitar, and and I think. Um, Parametric EQ is a product, and I say product instead of pedal because they have rack mounting used to it. It's for someone who has a really good attention span. <laughs> if you're someone like me that wants to turn a dial and then get a result, like, okay, and where are we? Okay, that's this. Okay, adjust and adjust, and we're there. That's not, parametric EQ is not your friend. Parametric EQ is for someone who's like, a little bit more. Hmm. A little bit more. Mm-hmm. Ah, too far. <laughs> you have to really cut. Like if I ever, like maybe I, I've been telling my wife, maybe I need to smoke a joint. If I ever smoke a joint, maybe I will smoke a joint and try to mess with the parametric QQ unit. <laughs> maybe that's the experience. Just chill, dial in a sound. So uh, that's my uh, thoughts on parametric EQ. But graphic EQ, I use the Boss one, the G7. It's uh, it's what I like. It's not it's not fancy. The MXR one works great too. There's a ton of other ones by Joe. You and all this. I haven't tried them. I, I I don't know. I just like I said I have a Boss EQ7 and it works. And uh, I have two actually, two. So and I, I think I paid seventy for one and fifty for the other. So for that kind of money, I can have two EQs wherever I want. So not the best advice. Like I said, I'm sure somebody's going to mention some really nice ones, but that's the ones I like and I use. Oh, uh, and I no complaints from me. Uh, Brian says, "Have you tried the Blue Ridge BTR series acoustic guitars?" I I swore I've played a Blue Ridge guitar before. I just don't remember when or how long it's been. It's been years. I mean, at least five to seven, at least says, have one of their BTR-140 historic dreadnoughts, and I'm loving it. I got it for half price at Guitar Center and their use section. Well, like I said, as much as I like the dog, the used, uh, the Guitar Center guys, and always remember, when I, when I pound on somebody or when I say something on the show, it's always because I'm hoping it's going to get better. I won't talk about things I truly dislike. So I, I like to point out, whenever we talk about the Guitar Center and I think their faults and stuff, it's not that I think they should listen to the channel or anything. It's in hopes that maybe I'm echoing a voice out there that they can hear. You know what I mean? Um, and, and maybe learn something from it um, and be better. Because I think, you know, hey, if Guitar Center was to improve, it would be really beneficial to all of us. But that being said, their use section is pretty badass. Um, I hate their pictures like everybody. They're pretty generic. But use things. I think what keeps Guitar Center interesting to me is the use section. Um, 
Pixie from Boston. Oh, man, he'll get mad at me for saying that. But anyway, uh, Steve from Boston, Pixie. I'll always call him for Pixie. Steve from Boston loves the Guitar Center used section, and he swears by it. What I will tell you is, man, you can find some stupid good deals. I even have to double-check. Pedals especially. I highly recommend the Guitar Center used section for pedals. Um, sometimes I'm on reverb, and I'm looking at a pedal, and I find one for 50 bucks, and I find one for 60 bucks, and uh, and then I go, whoa, 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 let me check. And I go to Guitar Center, and $34. <laughs> I'm like, yep, do that. Uh, so Ian Nunes says, I miss the old Guitar Center. That's kind of my problem, too, is I kind of miss the old Guitar Center. Uh, so, um, But, yeah, the U section is definitely where the Guitar Center still kicks butt, um, which is why they haven't been this that exciting for the last year because their U section is pretty depleted, although it's fattening up as the market's been slowing. Uh, you know, the, the, the high demand has definitely tapered off. There's still high, there's still good demand. We're, I mean, the industry still seems like they're selling a lot of guitars, amps, pedals, all that stuff seems to be kicking butt, but it definitely has Sloan. Uh, Sloan? Slowed. <laughs> it's Sloan. Anyways, uh, Chris Goodwin says new KYG shirts arrived. Okay. Beer in hand, ribs on the smoker and Phil on YouTube life is good. That is, that sounds actually awesome. Beer and ribs. Maybe we need beer and ribs tomorrow for Saturday uh, lunch. So you got the new KYG shirt. Awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the channel, man. That's always, uh, very appreciative, uh, of that. Like I said, it's uh, awesome. You know, oh, that's a, a, a cool story. Uh, and and I feel bad if I don't tell it right now because I missed it earlier. When I was mentioning that I met up with Music Therapy Laz this week, there was a great, there was a great story uh, that happened. When I met him, he was wearing a Know Your Gear shirt, but it was the tone knob that said, live it, love it, learn it, learn it, live it, love it. And uh, I told, oh, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the tone, uh, the know your tone shirt. A lot of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. So let me let me tell you because he didn't know the story. No one knew the story. I never told anybody because it never had came up. Um, that shirt, there is less. There's got to be maybe ten shirts in existence. And what happened was when this channel hit 100,000 subs, uh, you know, of course, I retired the original Know Your Gear logo. And um, what happened was Ralph at that time was doing the logos. Well, Ralph was doing that for free as a, you know, as a friend of mine. And so I go, okay, I need a new logo. Well, he's busy. He's got a real job. And I said, I'll pay you. And he's like, I won't take the money. He doesn't want to take my money. But if you ever had an experience like this, it's like your friend, he's your friend. He won't take your money, but he also won't work at the speed you need him to work at. So like, I need you to take my money so you can work faster. I need this done because all these weeks are going by. No one's buying any shirts. So what happened was I told my wife, which is why my wife now does all the, the, the stuff that you guys know. I said, could you, do you learn to do this? So she got, um, what did she get? What software did she get? I feel horrible now. I don't know. Uh, she got the software to do that. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Uh, I'm, th I'm thinking in my world, Final Cut Pro is what I use. She uses, um, uh, something else. Um, uh, Oh, Adobe Illustrator. So that's what my wife uses. So my wife got Adobe Illustrator and she took a class or whatever she did. She learned to do Adobe Illustrator. And that's why when you guys interact with her and she does custom shirts and stuff, that's how she taught herself to do it. So she taught herself to make the shirts. So while she was teaching herself to do shirts and Ralph was not making the new logo, I didn't want to lose out on, you know, obviously the revenue of the channel, which is selling some merch. I made that shirt. <laughs> it's the only shirt I ever designed. Uh, I did some copy paste crap and put it up and made the shirt. And, and so he has that. So anyways, if any of you guys have that tone shirt, uh, that I, that I'm talking about, uh, 
definitely send me a picture of it. I would love to to see it because like I said, um, it's really unique because not only did we only sell a few of them, it's the only shirt I ever made. And here's the other problem. When my wife took over, that's what I was telling in the last part of the story, which I'll tell you. When my wife took over doing the Adobe Illustrator shirts, she also, because she wanted to make this not suck for everybody, she also changed our vendors. And when she changed everything, uh, the old logo, the one I did, it's lost. So there's no way for me to recreate that logo except for my wife to uh, recreate it now from from whatever, but I don't even have a picture of it anymore. So I just know it when I saw it. So when I saw music therapy allows, I was like, Oh my God, you have that shirt. And then I told him the story. So that was for me, self-indulgent, but I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, so we have, um, and then, uh, and then Bradley Thompson said, Hey, buy a beer on me and keep rocking everyone. And, uh, I will, I'm not going to have a beer tonight, unfortunately, but I have a beer tomorrow for sure. Okay, um, last question for the Super Chats is going to be Steve41811. So let me get to that one. We have James's question, which is, Phil, why do you think Fender stopped making the Supersonic 100? I love mine. That was a fantastic amp. And it had a unique technology. That that biasing technology in the back of that amp was fantastic. Um if I recall the idea when that amp came out, so if you guys don't know, there's a, there was a supersonic 60 amp and then they made the supersonic 22. And so, uh, and then they made the supersonic 100 to make like a complete series of amplifiers. And uh, I want to say that was like 2007, maybe in 2008, uh, you know, James, you have it. So you maybe you know exactly, but either way, um, it was a, it was like a perfect storm of mess. You had a recession pounding the market. And so of course, high end equipment was not selling cause that was tougher. You had, um, you had the fact that no one was really buying high end, uh, expensive, not expensive. I'm sorry. No one was buying hundred watt amplifiers. So, I mean, Fender's not even known for that market. And of course the guys who were known for that market were having trouble selling amplifiers. So it was just, it wasn't the amp. It was just the timing of that release. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's just what killed it, but it had, uh, that amazing technology on the back of it. So you guys don't know on the back of only the supersonic 100 amps, you had this button and it had like LED, like light or something. Anyways, you could tap it and you could bias the amp hot or cool in real time. Uh, which if you, you know, run the bias a little cool, you get this kind of spongier, softer sound. If you bought hot, you got a little bit, you know, more kick and punch and it was very subtle. And that's what was really interesting about it because you realize it wasn't like a dramatic thing, not, not, not anything the audience would notice. Nobody listening to the amp would notice this, but you would notice it when you're playing the amp and it got quiet. So you could do everything you could do with the 22 and the, the 60, but it was just that perfect storm of that mess. But yeah, it was a great amp. Um, Michael Rogers, thank you for the super chat. Don Erickson said, hey, Phil, I want a Gibson Les Paul. What is your opinion of the Gibson Les Paul tribute? Do you think that uh, that would be better off buying an Epiphone? This is a simple question, believe it or not. And it comes up a lot, the tributes. The tribute to me is really a really core question of this. Given the choice to me to buy a Les Paul tribute or an Epiphone, I would pick the tribute, but I like bare bones. 
You know what I mean? I don't, I, so, I mean, I'm not, look, I mean, look at the, as I have a nice Les Paul behind me, but if you look at the guitars behind me, look at like the just basic paint job, basic paint job, you know what I mean? A lot of basic paint job guitars. Um, you know, obviously Nathan made this amazing, gorgeous PRS for me. That was, that's awesome. And of course I went a little flamboyant on the Kiesel with the exotic look, but for the most part, I like like the PRS and the PRS world. I like the S2 guitars. I like the Mira and the Gibson guitars. I, like I said, I, I, I like, uh, the studio. I like, uh, the, the classic light. I have a classic light behind me. Oh, there's my mirror too. So there's a mirror, very basic guitars. So I like a guitar just doesn't have to have a fancy wood top on it. Um, uh, in fact, in fact, look at behind me. There's only two guitars behind me with fancy exotic wood tops. And one was Nathan just trying to blow my doors off and show me how amazing he could do work. And then the R9, which is just like I said, it's, it's a very exclusive in the collection of guitars. It's just something different than I, than I normally would play or own. And so that being said, I'm not really drawn to the fact that Epiphone for the same price or a little less money can give you a lot of options. And that's cool, but that's not what I'm looking for. So I would pick the Tribute. However, if you're the type of personality that would really like to have, you know, a nice gloss finish, maybe a nicer top, upgraded tuning keys, because most likely if you're looking at the same price points, you're going to be getting a lot better uh, equipment added. The one thing I love about Epiphone is I love their uh, their hardtail bridge. I think it's built. Uh, I think it's superior to the, what Gibson puts out. I don't know why they don't just put it on the Gibsons, but um, but yeah, that would be my suggestion to you. And I will tell you this: in the long term, the tribute will hold more value if that matters to you. Again, these things have to matter to you. I'm just giving you information. You have to make your decision for yourself, but. Uh, those are the su- suggestions I would give. Uh, Steve, 410811. <laughs> That's a lot of numbers, man. So he's, uh, by the way, uh, if you want anyone to know what uh, Steve's pin number to his credit card is, I just read it. I have a 57 Les Paul Custom Shop. Uh, the pickups are not potted. Yep, so they squeal a bit. Yep, because it's before they were potting them. Is there something I can do without replacing them? with potter ones. Uh, yeah, you can pot them. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to do that, you can absolutely do that. If you want to take it to somebody you think is, uh, you know, uh, reasonable, you can pot them as well. Uh, I have potted pickups many times for customers. It is not something unique or hard. Um, basically it entails, uh, I would remove your two. So let me tell you the process. Uh, basically you take the strings off the guitar. Um, you remove the two pickups out of, you know, your, uh, your 57 reissue is going to have two wires, hot and ground soldering gun. I pull those right out. I'm going to desolder the caps off, pull the caps off that, uh, cause they're not potted. That's pretty damn easy. Um, the only thing that's hard about that process, you don't even, I want, I don't want to say you don't have to remove the caps, but you should. I'm sure you could get away with a little half-assery, but if you have the 57 Les Paul you know, uh, custom shop, you don't want to half-ass this. So um, the only thing that's tricky about this entire process, believe it or not, is uh, the solder to just solder the, the covers off the the, uh, the pickups. It's the solder. You have to get the gun hot. You have to have a really nice soldering gun, iron, whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> I think I got somebody's like, why do you call it a soldering gun? I don't know. Soldering iron, You it has to be hot. And so you have to know what you're doing with it because you're going to, you know, not burn yourself. You're just going to burn. You got to melt that solder down. So, uh, so anyways, desolder the two, the two, there'll be two solder points on the bottom. You pull the cap off. Once you pull the cap off, uh, you take a wax pot. Um, I like a beeswax with paraffin wax mix. That's real standard, uh, stuff. Not very exciting. And, uh, just a wax pot thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just called a wax pot. Uh, dip them, hang them. Uh, sometimes you dip them again, depending on, you know, your situation and then put the uh, covers back on. And again, like I said, you can wax pot them with the covers on as well. Sometimes that's easier. Um, if I was going to leave the covers on a wax pot, them, I would probably use a straight paraffin wax mix because it will help get in there. The beeswax thickens. It's like a thickening thing. It thickens up the wax, which is nice, but I want to soak it in there. But that's, that's how I would do it. And then put them back in. Super easy. Oh, and there's options. I'm sure to tell you the options. So if you were to say that to me, like, oh, yeah, do that. Or if you go, but would that change the resale value of my guitar? And then that, all the him and stuff. What I would then say is, okay, well, then let's go option two. Option two is pull the pickups out, desolder the uh, cap, pull the cap off, and I put a piece of foam tape. I use double stick foam tape, but you could probably use painter's tape. You tape it over the, uh, the six slugs, put a piece of tape over those slugs, put the cap back on. That's going to solve like mm, 60, 70% of the problem right there. And then if you ever sell a guitar, desolder it off the cap and uh, pull the tape off, solder back on. But I can't imagine a custom shop Les Paul being worth less because you had the pots or the uh, pickups potted. But who knows? Uh, Mike from Oregon, I want to answer this question because he put 716 question marks before the question. Good, good man. That's a great way to get somebody's attention. It says, Phil, did I did I assume he did. He said, did what you said and asked for a deal, got 18% off just for asking. New American Humbucker Strat single single strat HSS strat pro two coming next week, Olympic White and Rosewood fretboard. Two things you know now. One, Olympic White's probably the number one selling a strat. And two, you got the discount. And I love reading those over and over again to you guys, over and over again. Again, always ask for some kind of deal. It's not, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Like I said, I told you guys many times, I'll tell you guys many times more. I've been on both sides of the counter, the person who had to make a living talking to the customer. And of course the customer, and I will tell you this, as long as money's changing hands, there's no real reason anyone should say no. And if they say no, you should never be offended. Just go find the next deal or pay the right price. But either way, as long as everybody's being cordial and exchanging business, uh, like I told you guys, I've never been upset uh, for giving anyone a deal. Um, because it fed my kids and paid my bills. It, the worst times in my life when I owning a business was when no one was handing me money. That was pretty bad. Um, even in this market, which is tough because right now everybody everything's kicking butt, so it's hard for people to want to give you a deal, but they're still out there. And on that note, I will see you guys next Friday at three. As always, thank you guys so much for your time. Till the next time, know your gear.